Rugby KO, a podcast that pulls no punches. We deliver rugby insights from passionate enthusiasts from the grassroots to the global game. Players, punters, professionals and partners providing uncensored opinions on how the sport of rugby can thrive again. Welcome to Rugby KO with your host, Katrina Oxenham. Phil Waugh's career as a rugby player began at the Narrabeen Tigers on Sydney's northern beaches and then onto the Warringah Rats. He played schoolboy rugby at the Shaw School, playing in the first 15. He was selected to represent Australian schoolboys, Australian under-19s and then under-21s. Phil achieved the highest levels of professional rugby with a career playing for both the New South Wales Waratahs and the Australian Wallabies, often leading both sides. He played 124 matches in Super Rugby for the Waratahs and had a professional career from 1999 through to 2008. He played 79 test matches for the Wallabies, usually playing at open side flanker. He was named vice-captain of the 2003 Rugby World Cup team and also captain of the Waratahs in 2007 and 2008 before retiring from the professional game. He was the first ambassador of the Sydney Junior Rugby Union He's a sought-after guest speaker since his retirement and continues to have a successful corporate career. In 2018, he was appointed as a non-executive director of the board for Rugby Australia. He's now on an advisory subcommittee armed with shortlisting Australian Rugby's next CEO. I talked to Phil about his rugby career, his connection to the grassroots of the game, various recent events on the board and at Rugby Australia, the future vision for the game, and the importance of this opportunity to grow the game and ensure the viable future of the sport in Australia. Welcome, Phil, and thank you for chatting today on Rugby KO. You started your rugby career, Phil, at uh, the Narrabeen Tigers on Sydney's Northern Beaches, and then you played at the Moringa Rats for your district and also sort of Colts and club level, also at the Shaw School. Can you tell us how important are those club and school years informing the foundation for your, not only your rugby ability, but also your love of the game? Yeah, so I started, um, I started Narrabeen when I, was, uh, when I was four. So very early days. I played three years in the under sevens at Narrabeen Tigers. And that was well before there was no tackling uh, or contact scrums. So it was pretty, pretty brutal as a small blonde-headed kid from Monavale. So uh, that, that, that was a great experience. And then sort of played all my junior rugby, as you said, through Narrabeen. And then, uh, obviously, as you get to under-10s, you uh, you get uh, the opportunity to play rep rugby and, uh, obviously, the June long weekend uh, championships, which is uh, also a highlight. So, played all the way through till, till about under-16s. So, tried to balance schoolboy rugby, obviously, at Shaw, with getting down and playing for the Tigers when I could. So um, it was, uh, I still look back and, and you now that was you know, the basis of me loving rugby and, and uh, you know, I certainly went on and played professionally, but uh, had the game not been professional, my ambitions to play for Australia still would have been the same. So absolutely uh, loved my junior rugby and I finished through school and, and had the opportunity to go to university and I guess uh, that was a big call for me, leaving leaving Warringah and, and leaving the Northern Beaches to go to uni, but the opportunity to study, the opportunity to uh, to play with, uh, with with different young men was a really good opportunity for me. And you know, I guess it, it shows how much it means to me, uh, club rugby, I guess. I bore boy 
for Warringah for many years and used to ball boys sort of from fifth grade through to first grade. So uh, spent my uh, Saturdays uh, all around Sydney uh, on the sidelines of uh, rugby fields. And I always said I'd get back to Warringah and play one grade season. And I obviously retired before I got that opportunity. But this year, two uh, two good friends of mine, Mike Riven and uh, Cameron Talor, are coaching first grade down at Warringah. So I've, uh, I've committed to coaching down there this year and uh, really enjoying, I guess, being back at Warringah. And you know, I, I had a good chat to the guys before the Sydney University game, actually, and obviously all my club rugby uh, from grade or Colts and grade at Sydney Uni. And then going back to Warringah, it was a, uh, it was a great afternoon. But uh, I did call myself in that little speech a returnee, which uh, which uh, <laughs> I got uh, heckled heckled a little bit by the guys. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's great to have that connection back to club footy. I think sometimes potentially that may be lacking somewhat, but it's great that you're coaching down there. And I know that you did some work as a Sydney Junior Rugby Union ambassador and you went down and presented representative jerseys and you gave back to the grassroots, which is wonderful to see. Do you have any comments or do you think these days players could better connect with that community or club footy, particularly when they make that next level of footy and just provide a bit of a better connection and inspiration to those younger rugby players? Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a really good question because I think that if you would ask me what's the greatest challenge uh, within rugby at the moment, I would say probably the connectivity between the professional game and the community game. And, uh, and I think that's where you know we really need to bring those two games back together as one. And uh, I think that's probably our biggest challenge. And you know, certainly uh, the pathway as a ball boy Ball boying for Warringah and the pathway from being a Warringah rat to being a Wallaby was really, really clear. Uh, and the connectivity between a Warringah player representing Warringah for New South Wales and then representing New South Wales uh, for Australia, I think, was was really clear. And I think that um, you know anyone then was really proud of who that individual was. And um, I think one of the biggest things right now is uh, we need to bring back that connectivity between the community game. Uh, and you know, the young representatives from community who then go on and represent that community for Australia, and uh, and I think that that's something we need to work hard on. I think it, I think it's still very much there, but the the the, uh, the, the lines have become a little bit blurred, and uh, so we need to make sure that we make that really clear and ensure that we're all part of the same family rather than uh, necessarily competing. Yeah, good insights. So, Phil, you were appointed to the Rugby Australia Board in 2018. It was a time when Raylene Castle was CEO and uh, Michael Checker was the head coach for the Wallabies. Can you describe that time on the board and just some of the challenges faced at that time? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a, I mean, it's no secret that it's been a challenging time for, for rugby. Uh, I think, you know, obviously making the final in 2015 Rugby World Cup, there was a lot of uh, hope. And a lot of optimism as to uh, as to those groups of players, and uh, now then, you know, unfortunately, then we had England and hosted England, and we had great support, but we lost three 0 in Australia, I think, for the first time, and so uh, you know, it was a very challenging time, uh, I think, when uh, the international teams not performing um, at the level that the that they expect to perform at, but also the public expect us to perform at. So, yeah, you know, then then obviously some controversial incidents that, that took the focus away from the game and what the great things are about the game. And uh, too often we probably spent time and energy 
on those matters rather than, you know, how do we grow the game? How do we increase participation? How do we engage with fans? And, uh, and how do we connect with the community? And so uh, I think it was a, a very challenging time and a um, you know, whole whole array of reasons as to why it was a challenging time. But um, I think pleasingly we feel like we're through that. Obviously, uh, the challenges aren't over, but there's certainly uh, refreshed energy, I think, around rugby and around the, you know, the professional game and then also a greater appreciation of the importance to connect to the amateur game. So the departure of the former CEO wasn't smooth and some would say even a little bit ugly and as you say detracted from the good energy going into the sport do you think it could have been handled a little more professionally or discreetly and that change was perhaps imminent anyway without the agitation of the letter from the captains and other sort of agitations for immediate change yeah i think it was as i said it was a really unfortunate time and testing time i think yeah, equally with the captain's letter, you know, they obviously uh, polarised uh, a lot of people as well. I guess what it does show, though, is the importance and the level of care for the game in Australia. And, you know, as I said, it's polarised people in terms of the response to that letter. But I think that uh, if we try and peel it back, you look at it and go, there's an enormous amount of people in this country that care about the game. And, uh, and it's about how we actually all work together for the, for, for, for the better of the game. And I think that we're trying to do that. But it's certainly a, uh, a level of expectation that we have as Australians and as Australian supporters that, that we haven't lived up to. And, and I think that that's been the frustration. And that's, you know, that's absolutely, I guess, the driving force behind, uh, I guess, any you know, comments or, uh, or written emails or letters or whatever it is, I think that uh, the other driving force is that uh, as a game, we probably haven't uh, performed at the level that, that we expect to perform at. And I don't think we've engaged with our fans and our communities to the level that, uh, that we should. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, if you look at you know, what our game is, our game is about community, our game is about um, you know, the local, local people, the local boys and girls, the local mums and dads. And I think that uh, you know, sometimes I think uh, you know, professional, professionalism gets away from, um, from, from all of us and uh, we need to actually reconnect with our roots. So the new chairman, Hamish McClellan, he's appointed, I believe, yourself, Pip Marlow and Daniel Herbert on the board there as a sort of subcommittee, if you like, charged with shortlisting potential new CEOs for Rugby Australia. Um, what are you looking for in that appointment? So what sort of business acumen or specific qualities? And how's that process progressing? Yeah, I mean, it's, there's, you know, so it's not an easy process because it's such a significant appointment. And yeah, the game is, I guess, uh, embroiled in so much um, uncertainty right now. We, we, we're in a position whereby we're, we're playing a uh, national super rugby competition, can't travel internationally. You know, there's you know, quite publicly no broadcasting deal done for 2021. Uh, there's no uh, super competition agreed to, you know, with our Sanzar partners. And so there's certainly a lot of uh, uncertainty uh, as, we, as we sit here today. You know, I think that there's been some progress over the last few months. I think that uh, as we uh, get closer to agreement with the Sanzar partners around what 2021 looks like, um, now then you go at a macro level, there's so much uncertainty 
more broadly around COVID-19 and what that's going to mean for uh, not just international borders, but domestic borders, as we've seen. So there's actually no easy answers uh, right now because I think we're probably in uh, you know, absolutely unprecedented uh, times. So I think that as we sit here today, then going through what's the actual right attributes for a leader to lead the, the union or the game, there's a lot that go into that. And then I think it's around what's the, how do we get the compliment, how do we compliment the chair, how do we compliment other skill sets on the management team as well, and then, and then bring together the right applicant uh, and ensure that all the stakeholders are supportive of that applicant. So. Um, I know that's sort of a roundabout answer and uh, probably have an answer in terms of uh, what skill set we're after. But I think there's uh, just so much that goes into getting the right person with the right uh, assets and connectivity to the game and connectivity to um, to the commercial partners uh, and understanding of stakeholders. Also having relevance at World Rugby to obviously influence decisions around that table that are going to be better for rugby in Australia. So you have enough candidates, though, to choose from? There's a good cross-section of people applying? Yeah, well, it's actually, I mean, it's been great interest. And then this probably goes back, I guess, to my early comments around, you know, sort of controversial comments or controversial times have been made that, that have been had in rugby over the last period of time. Is there's a lot of people who care about rugby and there's a lot of people who want to see rugby in this country do well. Um, and equally, there's a lot of people who are, seriously impressive individuals who want to lead the game in Australia. So, yeah, the, the, the list is, uh, is is a very, very good list and, and it's a deep list. And so there's a lot of good people with a lot of great skills that would add a lot of value to rugby in Australia. So you think an appointment might be imminent, say, before the end of this domestic season? Uh, look, I think that it would be fairly advanced by, you know, over the next you know, period of time, you know, obviously the importance of getting the rugby championship off the ground up the ground later in the year is uh, is critical uh, on the back of you know, the importance of, of broadcasting and uh, and also that international competition as well. So um, timing-wise, you know, there, there's no real commitment. You know, Rob Clark's doing a great job as an interim CEO at the moment, kicking a lot of goals along the way and, and obviously as we go through the process, um, you know, I think the timing will be what it is. And he's definitely going to stand aside, Rob. He's still adamant he's going to step aside? Well, I believe so. That was the last information I had. So, yeah, I think, uh, I think uh, you know, Rob's, Rob's got a lot of experience, a lot of experience uh, with our stakeholders uh, at provincial level, a lot of experience at Rugby Australia. But uh, he's got the honour of, uh, of leading the game at the moment and it's going out to probably one of the most uh, exciting uh, times you know, for our game in terms of actually making decisions that are going to uh, you know, put the game in a good position uh, for a sustainable amount of time. Mm. And I know there was a, I think, a three to five year strategic plan. Is there, is there currently a strategic plan for the game or will that get a complete overhaul once the new CEO is appointed to form a, a new vision for the game? Yeah, I mean, there is um, strategic vision uh, for the game and strategic plans, and there's been a lot of work done by a lot of um, competent people over, over a long, long period of time. And I guess it's about bringing all that together and, and then you know, executing on those plans. Um, obviously, with a new chair and a new CEO, there'll be differences in, uh, in, in that strategic direction. But uh, you know, essentially, I think it's well recognised and uh, universally agreed that uh, our connectivity to the community 
and investment in grassroots is our absolute priority. And you know, we want to be world champions and we want to be number one uh, international team in the world. But uh, to do that, you've got to have uh, you've got to have juniors playing the game that are loving the game and supporting the game, and they're going to be the Wallabies in uh, 20 years' time. And that's the focus at the moment is absolutely getting back to the grassroots and connecting with the community. Well, that's music to my ears. That's great news. I'm glad that, that that is part of the plan for the future. That's great. So what do you think is the job or the mission of Rugby Australia, of the, of the actual organisation? What role does the organisation play for the sport of rugby? Yeah, it's a, um, with a federated model, I don't think we can underestimate the importance of um, our member union. So, um, you know, obviously all the states, the Super Rugby provinces, you know, rugby, uh, rugby Union Players Association, so RUPA, and, and how, do we, how do we ensure that uh, we're providing the appropriate support and governance for um, our member unions? Um, our member unions run the community game in the states. You know, obviously the players are important at a professional level. Um, but I guess it's around actually how can we best support the game more broadly and our member unions to increase participation and ensure that financially uh, every uh, every member union uh, is uh, is viable. And so uh, that's very much, I guess, the direction from us. Then it's around, you know, obviously there's some big events as well that uh, that are equally as important. You know, it's something, a lot of talk around the uh, Rugby World Cup in 2027. Yeah, that's a, a huge priority of ours. But but essentially, it's the uh, you know strong national governance of the game uh, supporting the federated model of our member unions. Just back on that, the advisory board and the bid for the twenty twenty seven World Cup. Obviously, it'd be fantastic for Australia to win that bid. Do you think that is timing wise? Is this sort of the best return for what seems to be sort of dwindling or few dollars in the game? Will the bid provide a timely enough return on investment? I mean, it'd be great to get it in 2027, but that is seven years away. What do we do with the game between now and then? And is that the, the best investment of funds? Yeah, look, I think that uh, you know, when you look at the talent coming through in the schools and under-18s and the under-20s, so the schools and under-18s beating New Zealand, uh, the under-20s, going uh, within a point of winning the Rugby World Cup in Argentina last year, uh, the talent coming through uh, that will hopefully be at their prime in 2027 is enormous. But not only that, it uh, gives everyone a vision, uh, you know, on the back of how great 2003 was for rugby. Uh, it gives everyone a, a vision um, and a, uh, a target to head towards. And so, you know, whilst uh, you know, there is a, a level of investment and it's uh, we be supported strongly by government, both um, you know, federal governments and state government. I think that uh, you know, the actual dream of 2027 is enormous for uh, for rugby in this country. And you know, if we go then back to the grassroots uh, element of rugby, I think that the grassroots um, and playing rugby World Cup games all around Australia and allowing you know, kids in uh, in Adelaide who are playing rugby to watch a World Cup game or in Perth or you know, even Northern Territory, but actually giving um, a national 
footprint to uh, what is an international event, I think it is enormous. So I think it's, and the timing, the timing is absolutely right. Um, obviously, France 2023, uh, and then obviously the World Cup after that. And uh, yeah, if you look at the 20s coming through, and uh, hopefully we'll have a very strong 2023 campaign. And then you take that 2023 campaign into a home rugby World Cup in 2027. I think it's uh, I think it's an enormous opportunity for uh, not just the game, but I think for the, for the country as a whole. So recently in the news, we've unfortunately seen some younger players, a whole lot of money talked about, some up and coming promising young talent, and potentially being lost to rugby. There's also talk about the player contracts having to be cut somewhat because of the dire sort of global situation as well as the, you know, domestic situation with Rugby Australia. Do you think that there may be an exodus of players to to play overseas given that playing career is fairly short? And what do we need to do to, to keep them here and to keep them happy and remunerated appropriately for you know reaching that level of the game for a very what is a very short career not everyone gets to go on to have a a successful sort of corporate career like you have managed to do some of them you know they play rugby and that's it so what do we need to do to sort of remunerate them appropriately keep the players happy and keep them here well i think i think the, the first thing is that uh, um, as a uh, as a governing body, we need to ensure that those players don't just play rugby and that's it. I think that actually developing young men and, and, and women is really important so that uh, they get a, a really great uh, experience playing rugby, but uh, what rugby brings to them throughout their career sets them up for life after rugby. So I think that's a really important point. Um, I think, uh, you know, when you think about the professional aspect of the game, I think that's why we're in such a, a state of uncertainty at the moment when we think about what does 2021 look like and what does the professional setup look like because I think the most important thing is for us to uh, get back to a competition that is genuine world-class and is the you know, best domestic competition in the world. And it's certainly been, Super Rugby's certainly been that in the past um, and we needed to get back to that uh, status around the world. Then, then you look at the, you know, the economics of it and around you know, if it's the world's best uh, domestic competition in the world or provincial competition in the world, that drives interest, that drives sponsors, that drives broadcasting. And on the back of that, that will drive the world's best players. And so I think that uh, there's a combination of a few things there. We're not without our challenges around, uh, around you know, international competition for our players and obviously the markets in Europe, you know, the markets in Japan. Um, are very strong. We've lost a lot of uh, good players there previously. But we need to ensure we've got a, a, a provincial competition that everyone in the world wants to play. And I, I think there's a, uh, there's a dream there, certainly. Uh, um, you know, New Zealand have, have got that, that dream and vision as well. And uh, you know, we've certainly got that dream and vision. And uh, I think we just need to work out what the sensible outcome there is you know, in terms of ownership structure, eligibility of players, um, and then, uh, you know, ensuring that we get the best players in the world playing it. And those discussions with Sansa, are they progressing well and in a way that's tenable to Rugby Australia or the board at least? Yeah, I think, yeah, like, I think the relationship with Sansa has been a very long one and a very successful one. So, yeah, I think that, uh, that, that those, those uh, conversations and that relationship continues to be very positive and, and very strong and you know, to just look at, uh, you know, the strength of the Rugby Championship and, Obviously, Tri Nations before Argentina joined, but now obviously Argentina involved, and those uh, I guess four strong Southern Hemisphere unions playing against each other in a tournament, which is uh, 
which uh, well, there's only been one World Cup that's been won by a uh, Northern Hemisphere team. So uh, you now there's competition there that is extremely strong. And how about the um, discussions with the broadcasters? How are they progressing? Yeah, like, again, very positive. I think, I think um, you know, the, the, the world is very different to what it has been previously uh, you know, in, in a lot of different ways. And you know, the fact that you know, we can't, you know, from, what is it, from midnight on Saturday night, we, we can't get back up into Queensland. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, yeah, the world's changing uh, and it's really fluid. So I think uh, yeah, conversations are really constructive. And, and, and as I said, it's around ensuring that we've got the best product that people want to go to the games and people want to watch it on TV. And uh, if you've got the best product, that drives interest and that, uh, that, that drives investment. So you know, it's very much around ensuring that we have an absolute world-class product that is best in market that people want to, people want to participate in and people want to watch. It feels like there's a real opportunity for change for going full steam ahead with a new and revised and improved as you say, product, but also administration. Is the board with the various new appointments, the new chairman, are they adequately armed to make the necessary decisions to overhaul the game, perhaps govern the game and to that new and hopefully improved and successful era? Well, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone hopes so. And I think yeah, that's, that's why yeah, if we just look at the governance of... Uh, Rugby Australia, and we think about the member unions and the importance of the member unions to Rugby Australia as a as an entity. You know that collaboration across from the provinces, the state unions, the players, and everyone working together. Um, I think is really really important. And so, whilst uh, the board's the governing body, um, you know the reliance and collaboration with the state unions is is absolutely critical. So, what do you think is the most immediate change that you would sort of implement for rugby in Australia right now? So if you were given the reins, say you were appointed CEO, what would you do immediately, the very first thing to improve the game in Australia? Oh, that's a very pointed question. I think uh, I've still got a real passion for ensuring that we've got the right connectivity between amateur and and professional. And so, you know, ensuring that as we go forward into you know, 2021, what's the right competition structures and timing to ensure that allows that connectivity between our best players in the country involved in the community game. And so I think that uh, that's absolutely a focus and uh, you know, we're probably seeing it more, you know, more, more desire, I think, from our professional players to, uh, to play club rugby and get back involved with it well, Phil, it's great that we have people like yourself on the board with that, that, that passion for grassroots and that connectivity that you talk about. I just wanted to say thank you for your time today. I do appreciate your openness and willingness to provide your thoughts and opinion and also your passion for the game. It is appreciated and um, I just wish the board every success over the next few months in your endeavours to get rugby back on track and I look forward to it thriving completely again and a good and complete season for 2021 and all that the years ahead entail leading up to 2027 and hopefully we win that bid. Thanks very much, Phil. Let's hope so. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Thank you for joining us at Rugby KO. Any comments or insights, please send to Katrina at rugbyko.com. For show notes and more about all things rugby, head to our website, 
at www.rugbyko.com. We look forward to your company for our next episode of Rugby KO.